turn in our Bibles to Nehemiah, chapter 13. Before we do so, I want you to consider that this is God's holy, infallible Word. It is the Word of life. It is the only Word by which we may know how we may be saved and how we may live in, in a way that's pleasing in God's sight. Therefore, let's stand and give honor to God's holy Word. We'll turn to Nehemiah, chapter 13, starting at verse 1. Stand if you're able. On that day, Nehemiah 13, verse 1, On that day they read aloud from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and there was found written in it that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God, because they did not meet the sons of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, God turned the curse into a blessing. So when they heard the law, they excluded all foreigners from Israel. Now prior to this, Eliashib the priest, who appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, being related to Tobiah, had prepared a large room for him, where formerly they put the grain offerings, the frankincense, the utensils, and the tithes of grain, wine and oil prescribed for the Levites, the singers, and the gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priests. But during all this time, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had gone to the king. After some time, however, I asked leave from the king and came to Jerusalem and learned about the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah by preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. It was very displeasing to me. So I threw all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room. Then I gave an order that they cleanse the rooms, and I returned uh, their utensils of the house of God with the grain offerings and the frankincense. Let's pray together. Help us, we pray. O oh, Father, to learn from this passage how we are to be holy, how we are to be a separate people, set apart for your worship, for your service. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. There are times when you have a job and you're doing some work where you might have to go away and leave somebody else in charge. And you're not so sure how things are going to go when you're away. But sometimes when you get back, you find out that whoever was left in charge didn't do such a great job. And we find that was the case with Nehemiah. Um, That exact same thing happened here with Nehemiah. Before we look at that, we'll go through a little bit of a review. In uh, chapters 1 and 2, Nehemiah first heard about how bad things were in Jerusalem, how the, the gates were burnt with fire, how the walls in many places were uh, broken down and needed repair. And there was a terrible reproach among the people in Israel, uh, in Judah, actually the region of Judah. And that was during the 12th year of King Artaxerxes. Keep in mind that 12th year is when he first began his service and calling to serve the people of Jerusalem. Nehemiah 5, 
uh, 14 mentioned that he served as a governor of Judea for 12 years. So as we get to chapter 5, he already served 12 years. And then as review, chapters 5 through 12 has a lot going on. There were, the repairs were completed. Um, there were social reforms. There was blessed worship, spiritual revival. Many great things happened under the leadership of Nehemiah. But in today's text, in, in chapter 13, Nehemiah reports having to take leave to go to, from Jerusalem to return back to serve Artaxerxes in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes. He does mention that after some time serving the king, he asked for leave from the king to return back home. And that's where we find him in today's text. He's returned back home after spending a stint of time serving the king again um, in some capacity, maybe as the cupbearer again, again, as the king's trusted cupbearer. But at the onset of chapter 13, if you do the math, we, we figure it has been at least 21 plus years since Nehemiah began his service in Jerusalem. And things aren't still the way that he would want. Uh, we, we figure that since matters have deteriorated so much, it must have been some time that has passed from chapters 12 to chapters 13. As we look at today's text, the main focus that God wants us to receive from this text is that you are called to be a holy people. You are called to be a holy people. And we'll see this in two main points. Israel's separation from the Gentiles. And secondly, your ongoing call to be separate. Let's look at this first main point. Israel's separation from the Gentiles. Verses 1 through 3 says that on that day they read aloud from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. There was found written in it that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God because they did not meet the sons of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, God turned the curse into a blessing. So when they heard the law, they excluded all foreigners from Israel. Now the passage in question that they mentioned reading is from Deuteronomy 23.3. There was some abbreviations, you could say, in, in their recording of what was said. But Deuteronomy... Deuteronomy 23.3 says this, No Ammonite or Moabite shall enter the assembly of the Lord. None of their descendants, even to the tenth generation, shall ever enter the assembly of the Lord. Now, the ten generations, we don't know if that's ten generations from the time of their basically rejecting to help Israel unto the, from ten generations from that time or not. Because we do find that in the case of Ruth, she was a Moabitess. Um, she was what we would call a proselyte. She was a devout person who served and worshipped the God of Israel. She turned away from her idolatry of the Moabites and turned to worship and serve God, uh, the God of Israel and him alone. Um, Ruth is mentioned along with her kinsman redeemer Boaz as being part of the, the lineage of Christ because um, he, um, Boaz was an ancestor of Joseph who was married to Mary. Of course, Mary um, conceived the Messiah by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's mentioned in Matthew um, 1. 
Now, here's my question. If Israel had accepted certain proselytes, such as Rahab, such as Ruth, and accepted them in to the fold, why do we have this hard stance in in verse 3 of today's text? When they heard the law, they excluded all foreigners from Israel. Now, my argument here is that in the case of Rahab and in the case of Ruth, they were devout believers in God. This wasn't the case for the mixed marriages in today's text. We're actually going to look a little bit ahead to a future message, but we're going to look at verses 23 through 24. It says, In those days I also saw that the Jews had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. As for their children, half spoke the language of Ashdod, and none of them was able to speak the language of Judah, but the language of his own people. Um, I would argue here that the men of of Judah here did not marry devout converts from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. The question is, who had greater influence? Wouldn't you find from today's text that the women had a greater influence in the outcome of the children rather than the, these uh, Jewish men? The most notorious, pathetic example of intermarriage among uh, the Gentiles is found in this man named uh, Tobiah, who is also called an Ammonite official. Uh, Nehemiah 6.18 is written there in your outline. Uh, Nehemiah 6.18 records how many in Judah were bound by oath to him because he, that is Tobiah, was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara, and his son, Jehohanan, had married the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah. Now consider this. If this isn't a compromised marriage I don't know what is. After the marriage of this man, Tobiah, to an Israelite woman, a a woman of the region of Judah, he continued to be an Ammonite official. He continued to oppose the Jews, even being married to a Jew. Um, If that isn't an example of a devout convert, I don't know what is. That is definitely not an example of a devout convert. But when Nehemiah was away, favoritism was given to the same Tobiah who joined along with Sanballat to mock and despise the Jews when they began rebuilding the wall. According to Nehemiah 2, they said stuff like this. What is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Tobiah was actually also involved in a plot to cause harm to Nehemiah the governor to make that work on the wall stop. Definitely not a Jewish proselyte or convert. Um, I think that Tobiah should be on the first of the list when we read uh, in verse 3, when they heard the law, they excluded all foreigners from Israel. He should have been the first one. But notice the favor, despite what they should have done, notice the favor they gave this man in verses 4 through 8. Eliashib, the priest who was appointed over the chambers of the house of God, being related to Tobiah, had prepared a large room for him. 
where formerly they put the grain offerings, the frankincense, the utensils, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil prescribed for the Levites, the singers, and the gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priests. But during all this time, I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had gone to the king. After some time, however, I asked leave from the king. I came to Jerusalem and learned about the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah by preparing him a room in the courts of the house of God. Now it says here he was very displeased. He was very displeased because this was not for common use. This was a place for holy use. It was to be set aside for the purpose of the worship of God, not for making some apartment for a deadbeat, lame Ammonite official. So what did, what did he do? He was very displeased. So Nehemiah he personally, maybe he personally did so, but it says he threw out all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room. Then I gave an order that they cleanse all rooms, and I returned there the utensils of the house of God with the grain offerings and the frankincense. Again, Tobiah should have been the supreme example of the kind of Gentile they were supposed to separate themselves from, but they did not. What about you? How do we apply this text to our lives? I would argue from Holy Scripture that we still have a calling from God to be a holy people. And what that means is to be a separate people. Um, perhaps you're wondering, well, does it really continue on in the New Testament that we are called to be a separate people? Um, I want you to think of what holiness means. Holiness is defined as something set apart for God's use, not for the use of the world. Think about the silver and gold vessels that you would drink from that were taken by Nebuchadnezzar from the first temple. Nebuchadnezzar kept them in storage in a storehouse, um, but, and they were set apart. They were intended for God's holy use for worship. And they were not intended for a drinking party, which was what was done by Belshazzar after he began to reign when his father was no longer king. So they, let's, they said, well, man, those Jews left all these golden and silver uh, vessels. Let's use them and have a big drinking party. Well, as they drank the wine and praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, and stone, there appeared a vision or an apparition or some sort of a man's fingers writing on a wall, and it gave a message of judgment. And that message of judgment translated went like this. God has numbered your kingdom and put an end to it. You have been weighed on the scales and found deficient. Some translations said found wanting. That very night, he was assassinated and his kingdom was divided and given to the Medes and Persians. So in a similar fashion, God called Israel to be a holy people, holy, separate, holy in behavior, holy in following the law of God. But instead, many of them participated in pagan worship and pagan practices, sexual immorality and other such things, and they repeated the sin of Belshazzar. 
worshiping pagan gods and they were found wanting in God's scales they were found deficient in the scales of God when they were weighed and God took them and took destroyed their city and then brought them into captivity that was a judgment that God foretold would happen by their idolatry Isaiah um, in Isaiah 53:11 gives this instruction to the priests and the Levites He says in that prophecy, Depart, depart, go out from there, touch nothing unclean. Go out of the midst of her, purify yourselves, you who carry the vessels of the Lord. That's uh, Isaiah 53, 11. Now how do we, as Christians, after the death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ, how do we apply such a passage? I want us to turn to 2 Corinthians 6. Keep your place in Nehemiah, but we'll turn to 2 Corinthians 6. 2 Corinthians 6, starting at verse 14. Paul says this, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness, or what harmony has Christ with Belial, or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever, or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate says the Lord, do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. This is a warning not just for marrying unbelievers. I believe it's a warning that you should not have any relationships that would influence you to compromise your holy faith. Now, there are some that might associate with notoriously wicked persons saying that they believe they're being a light for Christ among these um, unbelieving friends. Now, that can happen on a rare occasion. You can be a light. You should pray that you have a faithful witness. But you have to ask yourself, who is influencing who? When you have uh, such individuals in your life, now, What do you think about those who had married the women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab, who had the greatest influence? What about those who married the woman who married Tobiah? What about the woman who married Tobiah's son? What about the in-laws of Tobiah? Who do you think had a greater influence upon who? I think that Tobiah had the worst influence He caused Eliashib to compromise, taking the storehouse of the holy temple and using it to set up an apartment for him. A shameful thing. And part of this, this could be part of the reason why we find out later that the Levites and the singers had to return to the fields and leave the house of the Lord forsaken. Again, today's passage in 2 Corinthians 6 says, What partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness, or what harmony has Christ with Belial? That's 
another name for Satan, means worthless one. What has a believer in common with an unbeliever? God says, come out from the midst of her, be separate from unbelievers. Now, after the resurrection and ascension of Christ, after the Jews had persecuted the church for some time, God gave revelation to John. And that revelation to John had to do with his coming destruction that he was going to inflict upon Jerusalem by means of the Romans. And those Christians who did hear this message from John, they did receive it, and they did flee the city and were not destroyed along with the Jews. And this is what John was given when he heard a voice from heaven. Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues, for her sins have piled up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Revelation 18, 4 and following. They fled, and that destruction, according to Josephus, was horrible, was terrible. In many ways, it had fulfilled what was written in the book of Revelation. Now, all this talk of holiness would not be complete unless we first examine the issue of what are we going to do when we have to stand before a God who is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in both holiness and justice. How can each of us stand before such a God on that great day? The answer is that you have to have the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. You have to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. If you're not washed in the blood of the Lamb, you will perish. You have to have a positive righteousness You have to have an alien righteousness, that of Jesus Christ. If you do not have that, you will perish. That is the only way that you can stand before a holy, infinitely holy, righteous God. So again, as we we examine today's text, God calls you to be a holy people, and that means to be a separate people. God told Israel to separate from the Gentiles. They would have had a lot less woes and a lot less compromise if they had done so and heeding the word of the Lord prior. But you have an ongoing calling to separate yourselves from those who are unbelievers, especially, Paul says, those who would say that they are Christians yet are participating in sexual immorality. Do not even sit and eat with such a person. Now, the beauty of the Christian church is this. When Nehemiah left the land of Judah for a time, and in return, things went terrible, went south. But when Jesus left, he didn't leave us as orphans. He sent us his Holy Spirit to work through holy men, holy apostles, to give us the word of the Lord so that we we have the beautiful works of the New Testament that God has given us his word and spirit, that through that we have the hope of eternal life that only source of the way we can become holy in his sight. Let's pray together. We thank you, our Lord, that you have not left us again as orphans, but you have worked mightily in us through your word and through uh, your Holy Spirit. And we thank you that you have given us the message of the Holy Gospel in Jesus Christ that through him that we can be a holy people, able to stand in your sight. 
Help us, we pray, to write these things which we have learned from your word upon our hearts that we would not sin against you. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen.